was going through, I think we're down to word number 26 of those 30 sayings. Uh, things that he, he mentioned before, but he's repeating, and we know why things are repeated, right? For the importance of them, uh, to stress uh, why they need to be adhered to, and why we need to respond to them. So Proverbs chapter 24, if we can have someone read verses 15 and 16, please. How often we've seen that? Over and over again. Dishonest people are warned here about trying to deprive the righteous of their possessions, their belongings, their home, or whatever they have. Uh, and it continues to go on. Perhaps the righteous have experienced a temporary hardship and the wicked are just waiting for that weak moment that they see as an opportunity to pounce on them and take whatever they have. And uh, it's a constant occurrence in our world today of wickedness and sin. But then he also reminds us that even though that may happen in the life of a person, of a believer, that may be an experience that a believer will have. It also reminds us that the godly may trip seven times, but they always get up. You notice that? No. In other words, no matter how many times the godly falls, they'll always get back up. They'll never fall and stay down. But notice the contrast with the wicked, he says. He says, even though the godly may fall many times, and seven being the number of perfection means that there's could be a whole lot more than that. It says it only takes one disaster to completely wipe out the wicked. That's what it says. But one disaster is enough to, to overthrow the wicked. To overthrow means to wipe them out. In other words, the righteous may fall seven times and keep getting back up. But when the wicked get knocked down, when the, when the wicked get body slammed, they don't ever get back up. And that's why we can rejoice that God is the one who takes vengeance. We can call on him for that. Okay? Whenever he deals with it, the job is well done. He does a good job in dealing with the wicked. And that's this verse. It's a good example of that right here. Seven times in problems and misfortunes. But every time the righteous will recover. One misfortune will devastate the wicked. Okay, verse uh, 17 and 18. Okay, now notice what he's saying here. We know that the Bible says when the wicked falls, one disaster and wipe them out. Even though if you are a victim of, of, a, of, a, of the enemy, of the wicked, and that wicked person dies, God wipes them out, God destroys them, or God takes away everything they have. They have a, a, a disaster in terms of, of uh, finances or whatever it is. What would be the first reaction? That's good for him. Right? What would be the reaction? It serves them right. Right? That's good for them. It's like we normally say. Okay, that would be the right. God says, don't do it. 
He says, don't do it. That's what he says here. He says, don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble or when they trip down or when they get licked down. Don't rejoice. Don't be happy. What will happen if you do? God's going to be upset. Because you're not supposed to. Because remember, somewhere else he says how we are supposed to treat our enemies, right? Remember that other place? What does he say? Love them. And pray for them. And do good for them. And if they're hungry, do what? And if they're thirsty, do what? Okay, so... So, so, so we understand why he's saying what he's saying here, right? So what should we do when your enemy fall and they stumble? Pray for them. Don't rejoice. Right, you pray for them. Okay, so that the Lord will not be displeased with you and turn his anger away from them. Now if you pray for them, God is going to continue to punish them. But he's going to punish them in a way that they're going to realize that it's God who's doing it and what they need to do to stop. And what do they need to do to stop? Turn to God. And that's what we pray for. That's what we want, right? We pray for them that they would turn to the Lord and when they turn to the Lord, God will turn away His anger. But if we rejoice, God's going to turn away His anger from them and He's going to deal with us. Okay, so we see how important it is. When trouble finally catches up with his, with, with his enemy, a person of good character should never rejoice or be happy to see them fall or stumble or get licked down or whatever. If anyone is seen by the Lord harboring or, or gloating or being spiteful with a spiteful spirit, they will be considered more liable to be punished by God than the guilt of the enemy. In other words, God's going to change the focus on you. Because now, by rejoicing, you are being just as disobedient as the person who he's, he's, deal, he's dealing with. Because we have broken, broken his commands. So we, we need to remember. Now that's something that we don't often remember. That's something we don't even think about. When someone who has hurt us so bad begins to suffer. All we want to think about is, boy, it serves him right, he had it coming. I wish I could do something to even put more on it. That's the thought. That's the thought that comes to mind. The thought never comes to mind. Boy, I need to pray for him that, that he would change his ways and that God is dealing with him and that he'd understand his God dealing with him and he'd get saved and he'd change so that what he did to me, he wouldn't do to nobody else. That's what we ought to be praying for, not rejoicing. And so that's words here that we need to really take serious account of. Okay, the next one is the, the 28 of the 30 saints. Uh, verses 19 and 20. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Now this is a repeat of which psalm? Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Repeat of Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers. Boy, and I was just looking at this psalm this past week, because I'm doing a sermon on this for next with the 20th and I was going through the psalm boy and it's interesting some of the things we see in this psalm you know but he's saying don't fret and we like to fret don't we what, what does it mean to fret to envy to, envy, to be agitated 
uncertainty and agitation. It says, don't fret because of evildoers. And that's, that's basically a majority of what believers do. They look at what wicked people are doing and what evil people are wrong. And, and Psalm 37 talks about two types of people not to, not to uh, fret about. Wicked people who do wicked and people who do wrong. Wicked, wrong, evildoers and wrongdoers. And those are the people that cause the most havoc in our world today. But yet believers are still worried about them. They, we still fret about them. And he says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor envy the wicked. Sometimes we look at what the wicked do, and what they achieve, and what they accomplish, and there's a little bit of envy in our hearts. Nothing not much, but it's there. We're envious of what they have. We're jealous of what they have accomplished. But the problem is, we don't confess we have it. No, we don't. You know, We're in denial about that. That's right. And you lie. You lie. Okay, you got it. And so we are warned again. It's another warning about avoiding getting all upset about the obvious accomplishments of wicked people, evil people. And we've had many, many warnings about this in, in the Psalm, in the Proverbs already. And this is just another one. I said, don't be jealous of wicked people. Uh, the very bad forecast of the ungodly is given as a reason for this, for this time. The forecast of the wicked. What is that? What is the forecast? The future. What's going to happen to them? Okay? That's the forecast. And he says, because of the forecast for the wicked... Don't be jealous about them, about them. Don't be jealous about what they have. Don't get all bent out of shape because what they have you, have, you don't have and you probably can't get it. He said the forecast for them is very dim. And it don't look good. So why should you be upset? The fact that the light of their life would be snuffed out means that they have absolutely nothing good to look forward to. And so what? Trust in the Lord and do good. Mm -hmm. Then you will live safe in the land Exactly. That's Psalm 37. Okay. Evil people have no future. Remember that. When you see them lavished in all the stuff that they have. It's like, um, I think it was David Jeremiah, I heard this morning. He said, they could be tremendously wealthy that could be gone in That's right. You have no guarantee. They have no guarantee of what they have. And that's what the previous verse just said. One disaster can wipe them out entirely. But the wicked will fall seven times and keep getting up. And a lot of people don't realize that, but exact, that's exactly what happened. People put all their, their, their faith in the, the stock market. And it crashed, and you get suicides all over the place. All over the place. And so he says, don't get upset and envious about what the wicked have. Because they have no good forecasts. And then uh, verse 20, the, the, the 29th of the 30 sayings is, is uh, verses 21 and 22.
Okay. Fear the Lord. Reverence God. Respect God and the King. Being leadership. Reverence and respect for the Lord and the King as His representative is what this proverb instills. Remember, those in authority are put there by God. And God says, regardless whether you like them or not, you respect them because they're His representatives for the time being. For the time being. Now, God could choose to remove them at any time He wishes. But that's up to Him. But as long as they're there, we respect the Lord and we respect them. It's also a warning to anyone who is contemplating the challenge to change contemplating change to divine institutions or to overthrow civil governments. Okay, this is a kind of warning for, for all those types of persons who have those things in mind. Sudden and unconceivable disaster will fall on whoever is guilty of both types of rebelliousness. And we've seen many examples of this in scripture. Uh, where when David was being chased and his men uh, had an opportunity to get the upper hand and David's response was always do not touch the Lord's anointed always was his response and the same thing is echoed in this particular proverb uh, fear the Lord by honoring those that God has set up that God has put in place it's not our place uh, to be vengeful, retaliatory, rebellious, or vindictive. That's not our place. Our place is to respect God and those that He's put in authority. Boy, and I know sometimes that, that, that it, it hurts to do that. But uh, as Christians, the Bible teaches us to obey human government as long as it can be done without compromising our loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. As long as it, it has nothing to do with compromising our commitment to Christ, we are to obey human government. That's what the Bible teaches. If Christians are ordered by the government to disobey the Lord, then we should refuse and receive with humility whatever the consequences is for doing that. Whatever the consequences are determined for us, because we refuse to obey authority, because what they're telling us to do is contrary to the will and the way of God, then we must be willing to accept it. Because we are standing for God and not for man. Remember when our disciples were, were beaten for, for teaching about Jesus? And the fellows tell them, said, no, we're not gonna, we, 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 we want you to go out there and you could do not teach about this Jesus anymore. And the response was what? I'd rather obey God God that man. So he says, in other words, he's saying, listen, you could beat us as much as you want. We're going to continue to obey God and not man. All right? And that's the, that's the, the what is echoed here. Uh, this means that Christians, under no circumstances, should join with any, un, join any unlawful plot to cause the downfall of the government. That is unlawful plot. Now, having stated uh, the 30 sayings, uh, Solomon continues with some other wise sayings uh, from verse 23 uh, to 26. Someone read those verses, please. We have some robbers, 
There are some rather saying off the line. It is wrong to show favoritism and passing judgment. A judge who says to the wicked, you are innocent, will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nation. But it will be well with those who convict the guilty. Which blessings will show showered on them? An honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Okay, so what is he talking about here now? Now look, these are further sayings. He's given us 30 of them in groups. Now he's going on with some other ones. But what, what in particular he's talking about here? He talks about favoritism, passing judgment. What does that imply? Exactly. Don't call wrong right and right wrong. In a nutshell, that's what it is. To show favoritism and judging matters of right and wrong is a wicked thing. That's what he's saying. Don't if you know somebody is wrong, not because you know the person or you like the person, you give them the right when you when you know that they're wrong. That's what he's saying. And not time people do that. Situational ethics. Situational ethics. And a lot of people do that today. They don't want to lose this friendship. Even though they know their friend is wrong, dead wrong, they're going to give them right anyway. And that's what he's talking about here. Never show favoritism and judging matters of right and wrong because it's wicked. It's a wicked thing to do. And then he says, any judge who distorts moral differences by finding the guilty not guilty will not only be cursed by the people, but also be hated by the nations. You see, it's not only the people who are watching this. Right now, we have international organizations that are watching how the Bahamas does its legal or judicial system. I don't know if any of you heard the last report that the U.S. Embassy gave on the Bahamas. These, these reports they give every year. And included in that report was that the judicial system of the Bahamas is terrible. That's in the report. So what he's saying here is not just the local people watching, but there are nations all around the world who are watching. Notice it's nations are watching to see how justice justice is meted out, how justice is administered. And, it, and, and, and uh, the, the outcome or the analysis is that country have a lawless system. That's what it comes down to. And what does that equate to? What does that result in? Nobody won't come here. I, I saw a fellow one day in the news who said that he, uh, he was planning on, on uh, coming to live to the Bahamas until he found out uh, what the crime stats were. And he changed his mind. That's what he's talking about here. The nations, they'll be hated by the, the nations are going to see what's going on in terms of the legal system. Those judges, on the other hand, who convict the guilty will receive rich rewards from God. It doesn't say man. No under the table stuff here. From God. God is going to bless those judges who, just, who judge righteously and, uh, and, uh, and honest in the verdicts that they render. The verdicts that they render will, will, will bring them the approval of the people equivalent to kisses. Now, you know, whenever someone kisses you, that means they, they really like you, right? They are favorable to you. That's what a kiss indicates, right? Except for Judas and Caesar. It meant something else. 
right? But uh, that's the idea here. All right, the judges will receive rewards, favor. In other words, the people are going to embrace them because they are just judges. They do what is right. You could expect to go to court, and when you see that judge, you know that you're, you're going to get a good verdict. You're going to get the right verdict. You're not going to have someone who's paying him under the table to convict you. Okay, so the, there's a principle here then that we need to take note of. To avoid hurting a friend, people sometimes think that the best thing to do is to bend the truth. As we mentioned already, people do that. But a true friend is someone who gives an honest, straightforward answer, regardless of how much it hurts. It is a gesture of high honor to be entrusted with the truth, even at the risk of offending, as this proverb says. And so we need to take note of that. It's honorable. You are considered an honorable person when you tell the truth, even if the truth hurts. Okay, verse 27. <coughs> Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Okay. In the same way that trees must be cleared away and the land cultivated before a house is built, a person should get their life in order before starting a family. You realize how many disasters occur as a result of people not doing that? People go into, my, in fact, I saw something on, on, on this, uh, what was it, uh, what was it, the, the Dateline Mystery last night, I was watching this uh, couple, this young couple, and uh, it, it ended in total disaster. Uh, they got married, and then they got divorced, and then they got married again, and then both of them had good friends, they got involved with these friends, and, and uh, one husband ended up killing the other husband for his wife. Okay, terrible. But this is, what is, this is what, what, what happens when we don't get our lives in order uh, before we go into doing other things. A person should get their lives in order before starting a family. So this one proverb can be viewed as a warning about rushing into all kinds of responsibilities before being prepared spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Those are three areas that we should be prepared for in our lives before we get into anything in life. Okay, spiritually first of all, get your house in order as far as God is concerned, your relationship with God. And once you do that, then the emotional part is kind of easy, that kind of falls into place. Because if you get a good relationship with the Lord, then the emotional part is going to take care of itself. And then financially, uh, wise stewardship is with God. And if, again, if you have a good relationship with the Lord, then that part should also fall into place. And so do your planning and prepare your fields before building your life or getting your life established. Verse 28 and 29. Okay, here we have another passage in the Old Testament that talks about vengefulness or taking matters into your own hands or getting even. But this version says, don't testify against a neighbor without a cause. 
Okay? Oh, boy, I don't like him. I never did like him. You know, if I get a chance, I'll lie in court against him. Get rid of him. One time. Let him go to jail. I don't want him around me anyway. That's what he's talking about. Okay? You got a bad neighbor who's always causing problems? So you can lie on him so they get locked up and they get rid of your problem, right? That's what he's talking about here. Okay? Don't testify against your neighbor without a cause. Don't lie about them. That's what my version says. Don't lie about them. And don't say, now I can get him back. Now I can pay him back. Because of what he's done to me. And you know, there are people who are looking for opportunities to do that. They are. I'll get even with him. Even if a neighbor has done the very same things to you, under no circumstances should anyone bring false accusation against or spread lies about their neighbor because there's absolutely no excuse for returning evil for evil none and yet people do it every day you know they find it as a a way of getting back at the individual even though God says don't do it and sometimes they attribute the situation to God you know I know God is going to bring me to this situation where I could get him back no God don't work that way God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I'm not going to put you in a situation so that you can pay him back. God doesn't work that way. He says, I will repay. Vengeance is mine. Okay, we have another verse. uh, uh, Verses 30 to 34. I walked by the field of the lazy person. Hold on, let's stop right there because our time is gone. We'll pick up with that one next time. Because uh, that, that, that's going to take you in, into a little more time. But we'll stop right there. Um, I believe we get the message. Because, you know, over and over here, uh, one of the preeminent thoughts here is taking matters into our own hands, doing our own thing, trying to get away with stuff that we know we can't get away with. And so I believe that is the preeminent message here God conveyed to us. Leave everything to God. He'll take care of it. Depend on Him. Trust Him uh, to do what He has set out to do. Even if it is from putting persons in authority if who, do, who we don't like or we, we don't like how they're governing. You know, a lot of people today are calling for elections now. Okay, because they don't like how the government is governing. But God says, according to what we've seen here today, we need to respect those whom God has placed in authority because He put them there for a reason and for a period of time. And so that's a preeminent thought that we see coming out of our, our studies this morning. And let's step in line or stay in line uh, with what God wants of us to do. Amen? Amen.